I want to talk to you about usable vessels. Usable vessels. Second Timothy, the second chapter. I'm sure you know what a vessel is, anything in which you can place something. It may be a paper bag, it may be a garbage can, it, it may be a dish, it may be a suitcase, any vessel. Now, I'm talking about usable vessels. I've seen some vessels that I wouldn't want to use, and I'm sure you have too. And God's Word has something to say here to us about usable vessels. Second Timothy, the second chapter. Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and the things which thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men. You know something that's of interest to me? I have never seen a church yet called Faithful Men Church. But that's what Paul said should be the found for the establishment of the ministry. I see Church of God, Church of Christ, Church of this church, but never Church of Faithful Men. I wonder if it's because it would intimidate people. Who shall be able to teach others also. It's interesting that God never says just to find other faithful men. The only way you can find faithful men and see if they are faithful men is if they will be faithful. And if they will be faithful, before long they will be teaching other faithful men also. The other aspect that I want you to consider this morning is there are a lot of times that we waste a lot of time trying to teach men who aren't faithful. And it's a waste of time. I found out since I passed this last milestone in my young age that we haven't got a lot of time to waste and there are a lot of people that will waste your time. Faithful men will soon be recognized as being faithful men. Faithful means committed to the task. First of all, they have to understand the task and then find out if they're really committed to it. And if they are, they're the ones you're supposed to get busy and work with. There'll always be the periphery. There'll always those that'll stand around the sides and, and, you know, give advice concerning the ministry. But the faithful ones are the ones that are in there. The only advice they're going to be giving you is say, be careful there, don't splash on me while I'm down here in the ditch working. Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. One of the first principles he's telling us here concerning a faithful man is that he is a disciplined man. A disciplined man. No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. The second aspect of a faithful man is that he is a separated man. Separated under the gospel of Jesus Christ. His vocation is preaching the gospel. His avocation is whatever means of work he finds to make a living and to be providing for his family. But he's separated. He's not allowing the riches of, the riches of this world and the cares of this world to get him tied down to the place where his most important aspect of living becomes encumbered. That's what Paul is saying to Timothy here. If a man, verse 5, and if a man also strive for masteries, yet he is, not, is he not crowned except he strive lawfully. The third aspect there of a faithful man, then, is that he is an obedient man. He does things according to the rules. He calls men into the body to do the function of the ministry. And he gives gifts to the body. And others that come in support and build and strengthen and encourage that, fulfill that ministry to which God's called that one into the ministry. And then God raises those faithful men up and sends them out to their ministry. Discipline, separation, and obedience are the three aspects there of a faithful person. Verse 6, the husbandman that laboreth must be first partaker of the fruits. 
Now, I could interpret that for you if you wanted me to, but uh, I hope you can see what that's saying. The husbandman that laboreth must be first partaker of the fruits. Another place, Paul says that uh, if I have ministered to you in spiritual matters, I have every right to expect material return from you. That's what he's saying here. If, if you're called and you're a faithful man and you do what you're supposed to do in the ministry, another place it's said this way, they that preach the gospel shall live by the gospel. And that's what verse 6 here is talking about. He's telling Timothy, find faithful men and teach them and let them know that God's their source. But when they minister, they will be rewarded back by the way they teach their people and instruct their people and find faithful men. You know, I wouldn't give you a dime for most people in most churches today because they don't know the first thing about faithfulness. Anything else that comes up, that takes priority over what they're supposed to do in the ministry. God is not going to do the work that he wants to do until he finds the people that are, first of all, disciplined, have priorities in their life. And let me just tell you something right now. When you write down your list of priorities, anything above the calling of God for your life is out of order. Anything above doing the will of God and fulfilling the purpose for which Christ saved you is out of order. We'll get into that more as we get into the message. Verse 7. Consider what I say in the Lord. Give the understanding in all things. Remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the dead according to my gospel, wherein I suffer trouble as an evildoer even unto bonds, but the word of God is not bound. Therefore I endure all things for the elect's sake that they may also obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. It is a faithful saying, for if we be dead with him, we shall also live with him. If we suffer, we shall also reign with him. Isn't it something how God always puts everything in reverse? So many people want to reign with him, but they don't want to suffer with him. So many people want to live with him, but they don't want to die with him. That's why that verse says, no man's going to give up anything in this life. Houses, lands, husbands, wives, children, whatever it is. But what he'll receive a hundredfold in this life with persecutions. Just erase that, you know. But he says that these are the steps and priorities of following after Christ. We have to die with him in order to live with him. We have to suffer with him in order to reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we believe not, yet he abideth faithful, he cannot deny himself. Now, by the way, that word deny in there is another word for it is disown. Disown. If we disown him, he'll also disown us. If we believe not, yet he abideth faithfully, he cannot disown himself. Of these things put them in remembrance, charging them before the Lord that they strive not about words to no profit, but to the subverting of the hearer. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Now, may we just take a moment and go through that verse? I, I want to give you a background here before we get into this message on usable vessels. Study, the word in the Greek actually means use diligence and use speed as though it's something that needs to be accomplished. When it says study, it means to really give yourself diligently to this task to show or set or place near. That word show means to set or place near. Set what? Study to set thyself tested and tried is what the word approved means. In other words, when you take a product, when I was working for the meat ordinance plant in Nebraska years and years ago, we were making these big, I think they were 180 millimeter shells. They stood about this high from the ground and they were on racks. 
and they would put the TNT down inside of the, uh, or dynamite down inside of these shells, and then when they, it was liquid form, hot liquid form dynamite, then when they cooled, they would cool from the outside in, and they would expand and leave big holes in the middle of the dynamite, and when the shell would hit, they would be duds unless they could get rid of all those air pockets. So they had to bring them back to us, and we had heat rods that we would slowly heat in the top of that dynamite and let them just settle down with the weight from the rack above down into each one of those shells and go all the way to the bottom of that shell very slowly. And be careful you don't have any sparks around you. Spark-free environment with these top of these shells open. And when it'd get way down in there, it would melt all of that dynamite in the center and let it cool again from the inside out. Well, they found a real problem. Even when they brought the rods back out, they would cool from the outside in again. And they didn't know what to do. And so one day I just got the idea, why don't I put a lid, a heavy lid on top of each one of these shells. And I went around and I found some rubber caps and stuck them on top of each one of the shells. And the, the boss came back and said, we just tested all these shells and found out that, that all but one, normally they were getting about three out of four that were no good and had to come be brought back and do it over and over again. And they were really frustrated. They didn't know what to do. And they said, this time we only found one in the whole rack that was bad. What, what did you do differently? And I told him what I did differently, and you know, I, he said, one of the guys said, hey, put that in as an idea to the headquarters, and they'll give you a commission for it. I said, oh, really? My boss came back, when he found out what I was doing, he fired, put, put me over on another line completely, and he sent in the thing, and he got the commission. But anyway, the thing was that every one of those shells had to be tested and tried to see if they were ready for the ministry. And once they were set up, once they were ready, they were set up in Iraq saying that they were ready for warfare. And that's exactly what he's saying here. Study to the place that you are set in a place as having been tested and tried and you're ready for warfare. The only way you're going to be ready for warfare, he says, is if you will study diligently and as though it's a thing that needs to be accomplished immediately. Then you know something else more than trying to read a chapter a day or two chapters a day. Or some people that try to read a book a week. Or whatever you see. I, I think it's wonderful to get all the way through the Bible, reading the Bible. It's not so important to what you get through as much as what gets through you. And if you study, it begins to get through you. I find out the biggest problem I have in preparing sermons is that I see, oh, here's what, oh man, look, look out here, out here. I, as I start studying, more and more truths come, and I think, oh, they need to know this, they need to know that. And you know what I end up with? A series every time. I prepare a message and it becomes a series because I get into studying and it becomes so exciting when I find out all these other, other areas that I believe Christians ought to understand. So to study or diligently make speed to set your play, yourself in a place where you have been tested and tried unto God. Approved unto God. God has checked you out and you are approved. You've been tested and tried. A workman that needeth not to be ashamed or embarrassed greatly or humiliated rightly or giving the true meaning and application, dividing the word of truth. That means to cut straight or to cut rightly. Did you get that now? Let me go through it again with you. Use diligence to study, to show yourself or place yourself in such a place that you have been approved or tested and tried by God. A workman that does not need to be ashamed or embarrassed or humiliated greatly, rightly giving the true meaning and application to Scripture and cutting it straight and right. James 1.12 says, Blessed is the man that endureth temptation, for when he is a tried, that's the same word, when he is approved or tried, he shall receive a crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. See, it's talking about when he is tried, when he is approved. All right? 
Now let's go on. Verse 16. But shun profane and vain babblings. That word shun there actually means fall away from. Get away from as though you abhor the thing. Don't have anything to do with it. Absolutely come against it. Just resist it. Profane and vain babblings. That means empty soundings not fit to attend public worship. Now there's several applications that can be made here, by the way, and the first one is be careful what you say. Profane babblings means saying things that God doesn't say. Empty, meaningless, profane babblings coming in with doubt and unbelief and fears and everything else. They don't even they shouldn't even be in a public worship place. We should speak faith. For they will increase unto more ungodliness. When you start speaking doubt, more and more people start speaking doubt, and then unbelief and fear, and then coldness enters in, and ungodliness begins within the body. And so he says, shun those things, get away from them completely, turn your back on them, have nothing to do. And their word, now he's talking about these vain, empty words and babblings, he says, and their word will eat as doth a canker of whom is Hymenaeus and Philetus. Now that word eat is have pasture. These words will have pasture. You open the door to them and they come in and they begin to just devour. Now some people have interpreted this word canker as cancer and that is not what the word is. It's the, actually the word is gangrene. Tremendous difference between cancer and gangrene. You see, cancer can go on for years and years and years. Gangrene is a very fast moving poison that can kill somebody very, very quickly. And it said unfruitful, empty sounding words become like gangrene and spread throughout the body. You know, when somebody gets gangrene in the foot, what do they do? Radical surgery, don't they? Wherever that gangrene is, let's separate it from the rest of the body. It goes. What did Jesus say about that? If your eye offends you, put a bandage over it. Oh, pluck it out. If your hand offends you, cut it off and throw it away from you. Get rid of it completely. Why? Because whatever offends you spiritually is like gangrene. Deal with it drastically. Shun it. Abhor it. Get away from it like it's contagious. Who concerning the truth have erred, saying that the resurrection is past already, and overthrow the faith of some? Uh, in this particular case, Paul was speaking of some men who had come and said, well, the resurrection is already past. Jesus has already come again and taken the church home. And many people became discouraged and said, well, I'm left behind, and that means I'm going to have to go through this and that and the other thing, and I must not have had eternal life. And of course, there's some today say, well, then you're part of the 144,000 that's going to be here on earth. But uh, to the overthrow of many people's faith. Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure, having this seal, the Lord knoweth them that are his. And let everyone that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. I would really love to hear, have some pastors try to preach just on that verse sometime and hear how, without doing many wonderful, faithful, I mean beautiful twistings, come away with anything other than what the Word of God says here. There are many people say, oh, but God understands. He knows my heart. And let me tell you something, this is so important for us to understand today because even back in the days of Jesus, he gave the parable of the wheat and the tares. And one of the problems with the wheat and the tares is that when they come up, they both look just exactly alike. But in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and of silver, but also of wood and of earth, 
and some to honor, and some to dishonor. If a man therefore purge himself of these, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified and meet for the master's use, and prepared unto what? Every good work. If a man will do what? Purge himself of these. We'll have to get back and find out what these theses are. And if he will purge himself of these theses, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified and meet or qualified for the master's use and prepared or equipped unto every good work. Wow. If we can just find out what these theses are, then we will be equipped and prepared and sanctified for the work of God, every work that's necessary to do. So there's some important things in here for us to understand. You see, for God has a message that he wants to get to the world. He gave it, first of all, to 12 men, the apostles. He said, now, as you are going into all the world, preach the gospel. I want you to understand that these were not giants of the faith. The word of God says that even on the day that Jesus said to them, "Go as you're going into all the world, preach the gospel, that some still did not believe completely. But he took that group of weak, ineffective men and said, I'm going to send the Holy Ghost on you, and when he comes, you'll receive power, and you'll go and preach the gospel throughout the world. Now, it's an interesting thing, and it's an important thing to see that God has decided to let men preach the gospel. He could have sent 10,000 angels. He could have simply written a neon sign across the heavens and said, like they used to say out in Berkeley, turn or burn, you know. Burn, baby, burn back there. He could have scared men into salvation, but the Word of God says in 1 Corinthians 1.21, through the foolishness of preaching, through the foolishness of preaching, God decided to let the gospel be preached. Ephesians 3, Wherefore, whereof I was made a minister according to the gift of the grace of God, given unto me by the effectual working of his power, unto me who am less than the least of all saints is this grace given, that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Now remember what the meaning of grace is. The power to know and to do God's will. The grace that was given to Paul was God gave by his, uh, through grace to Paul the ability to know and to do the will of God. He gave him divine revelation concerning the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then he says, and to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery which from the beginning of the world hath been hid in God who created all things by Christ Jesus Christ. Unto the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known the manifold or many-sided wisdom of God according to the eternal purpose which he purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now again I said God had a message he wants to get out. And Satan and all of his hosts have done everything they can to block that message. God says, I'm not going to do it through angels. I'm not going to do it through divine, supernatural uh, overruling of all the rules of nature. But I am going to call out a people under my own name. And they're going to be a called out group. And they're going to be a special group. They're going to be the apple of my eye. And they're going to be citizens of the kingdom of God. And through the foolishness of man's preaching, I am going to reveal to all the hosts of darkness and not only the host of darkness, he didn't ring his out last night, but the word of God says that the angels literally stand around and inquire into the things of the kingdom of God. He says, I'm going to use the church, first of all, to put Satan and all of his hosts under, his, under their feet. He's not going to wait for the angels to do it. He's going to wait until the time comes that you and I know the authority that's ours as believers. And through the church, 
He's going to make all the hosts of hell understand the divine and many-faceted ways of the wisdom of God. God has a message he's going to get to the world and he's not going to use anyone else but you and me. And until you and I are ready to do what we're supposed to do to fulfill and to reveal the many-faceted wisdoms of God, the kingdom of God is not going to be complete. He's not going to wait and call legions of angels to do the work. He gave us the power and authority. He says, now you go into all the world. All authority is given unto me. Whatever you say, I'll do. Just walk out and do it. The church. Who's in the church? How many are in the church? How many of you are in the church? Not this building. In the church. If you're in the church, you're in who? You're in Christ. If you're in Christ, you're in the church. And if God is going to use the church, how many of you does that include? And what are you going to do? You're going to show to all the forces of darkness in heavenly places. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against wicked spirits in heavenly places. In heavenly places. God says, I am going to reveal my wisdom through my church. He is looking for vessels that he can use. Now, he says there's going to be different types of vessels. Vessels under honor and vessels under dishonor. Now, that doesn't, you know, a lot of times down through the years, I've always thought that meant just, you know, you're either going to be used for a spit tune or you're going to be used as a glorious vase up on one of his shelves. That's what I was talking about. It's talking about a vessel under honor is a vessel that, that you wouldn't throw away even if you didn't use it. The beautiful thing of to be to behold and it has many precious uh, memories to you and has the word I want to use value to you. It's not just sentimental, but even more than that, uh, it's it's been a very um, helpful thing down down through the years to you. I mean, I get a, a for example, I'll go out and get groceries and I'll bring it home, and that grocery bag is a vessel. A vessel bag, I mean, a grocery bag is a vessel under dishonor. You get your groceries, bring it home. What am I going to do with this thing? I fold it up, stick it in the closet, pull along the door, completely filled with them, and then under the under the sink and everywhere else. Pull it. Time to get rid of these things. Oh, huh, out the door they go. Great big piles of, of of grocery bags. Now that's under dishonor. You just discard it. Don't need them. The egg cartons. Oh, we may use them three or four or five or six or seven times, but eventually they'll get either used for planting some little seeds in, and then they get dirty and we throw them out, or they just start breaking up. But I bought, when I was in China, I had not bought Beverly a birthday, nor I think it was an anniversary gift. And so I saved that money, and when I got over there, I bought her a cloisonne gift. A little cloisonne vase, a couple of them. I don't know that she's ever going to put anything in it. But I don't think she's going to throw it away. Now that's a little vessel under honor. It has some meaning to her. It's something that you treasure. And this is what he's talking about. There will be some people that are going to be under dishonor. They aren't faithful, they aren't disciplined, they aren't committed, they aren't submitted, they aren't, you know, they, they aren't these things. And like Hymenaeus and Philetus made shipwreck of their faith, has to throw that vessel away. Terrible message. But that's what Paul's talking about. He wants us to be vessels under honor, that God will never throw us away. God will never get rid of us. That we're vessels that can be used for his honor and glory. He wants to reveal the manifold wisdom of God through us. Where we will come against the forces of darkness. You know, again, some of you that have come out of traditional churches will remember the old songs that we sang. And one of them was, Hold the Fort. For I am coming. Jesus signals still. Send the message back to heaven. By thy grace, Lord, we will. 
And I can still remember his missionary rallies when I used to sing that. I could see the church with its shoulders up against the door and the gates of hell, I mean the host of hell beating against me, trying against that gate, trying to get in at us. But we were being defensive. We weren't going to let him get into us. That isn't what it's saying at all. They wouldn't come and hit me. And I don't have any gate or wall that I'm holding up. What it's actually saying is hell, Satan has put walls or made prisoners of those in the world today and he has built, put them in a cage as prisoners, but those gates will not withhold or prevail against the church of Jesus Christ. We will go in and take over the, the, the territory that Satan once claimed. Cast down all the imaginations and all the strongholds of the powers of darkness through the many faceted wisdoms of God, and by faith we're going to go in and accomplish and conquer and reign with Jesus Christ. What a difference! That's different from holding the gate shut and saying, please, Lord, hurry and get back before the devil gets in. And God's going to do it through his church. I don't know about you, but I want to be a part of that. Praise God, I want to be a part of that. That's what he's trying to say here. And that's why he wants to find willing vessels that will bear the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ for him. God has a message and a ministry for the church, and he wants to use the church, and he wants us as individuals to study diligently, expeditiously, as though there's a time schedule, a deadline, that we can put ourselves in a position where we have been tested and tried and approved of God, so we can be totally equipped and prepared to divide the Word of God properly and cut the line straight and clearly. I'm telling you, when you start going around and listening to some of the messages that are coming out of some of the churches today, you wonder where they got off the boat. And you see all kinds of messages coming out today that are not consistent with the Word of God. That's why it behooves us as a body to have a solid foundation rooted and grounded in the Word of God. You wonder sometimes why we get up and, and we make so much ado over little, you know, little words and semantics and so forth. Jeff was talking recently about when the anointing is on you and this and that and the other thing. Now, when guest speakers come in, I know that some of you kind of react when they say some of these things, but we're warning you ahead of time that they will say these things, and many times they don't understand, they, they say it because that's what they've heard all their life. And I'm having to reevaluate everything that I say from day to day and make sure, is this really in the Word? We're getting ready for warfare, and the devil's going to look for those cracks in our armor, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. I don't know about you, but I want to be free. You won't be free if you don't know the Word. Every area where there's darkness and no understanding concerning the Word of God, that's where the devil's going to come in and try to lay his eggs, first of all. He doesn't lay chicks either. He lays vulture eggs. And he really does a number on us until we come into the light and understand the Word of God. Sheep hear their shepherd's voice. And if you don't hear that and you resist it, you better check out the nature and have someone saw on those old horns because there's a billy goat in the boat. Sheep put priorities in their life. The first symptom of a faithful man is discipline. You discipline yourself to do those things that are important for the kingdom of God. And studying to show yourself the proof, getting into the word of God and understanding biblical principles is one of the most important priorities in the life of every believer. I ask that every one of us will determine by the grace of God through study and fellowship and prayer that every one of us will determine that we're going to be a vessel unto honor for the Lord. We start off this morning by saying that God has determined he is going to declare his message 
through the foolishness of preaching and witnessing for him. He's not going to use some supernatural beings to do it. He's going to use weak old flesh and bone individuals who walk this earth with two feet and two hands and one mouth and two ears and two eyes who are ready to do business for God. That's the first thing you have to understand, that God is not going to give us authority and power in the sweet by and by, that pie-in-the-sky attitude. If we're going to have power and authority, it's going to be right now because when we get to heaven, the devil isn't going to be there. If you haven't figured that out yet, we aren't going to need the authority in heaven because the battle is going to be over up there. We'll already have the victory when we get there. We need the authority and the power exercised here and now on earth. So we said that God is seeking willing, usable vessels to bear his message. Now it's important that we understand that God is seeking willing and usable vessels to spread his message. It's interesting that God always sought certain individuals that would follow after him. It was those that had a heart after God. Now every once in a while you will find that type of person. And you say, I just don't understand why they grow stiffs like they grow. Now, I've been a Christian for 10 years here. They've only been a Christian a few months. And they just seem to blossom. I just don't understand it. It's very simple. If you hunger and thirst after righteousness, you'll be filled. Draw nigh to me and I'll draw nigh to you. Well, I'm just trying to do the best. No, it's not the best you can because we can all do better. Now, I said we're going to be talking about usable vessels. And in verse 20 of the second chapter of 2 Timothy, again, it says, but in a great house... There are not only vessels of gold. First of all, I'm sorry, we have to go back to verse 19. Nevertheless, the foundation of God's stand is sure, having this seal. This is the mark of identification. The foundation of God. If you want to see something that God's building, here's the seal to look for. How many of you have gone to a house and seen that little seal out in front of the door and said an electric home? That means the house is total electric. You want to see the seal of God on it? He said, here's the seal of God on every foundation that he's building on. Lord, know them that are his, and let everyone that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. But in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and of silver, but also of wood and of earth, and some to honor and some to dishonor. Now he starts a new illustration here. He's talked about the foundation, now he's talking about the house. If, and I want you to circle that if, or put a square around it, or color it red or yellow or what, that's always there when God tells you he's going to do something for you or gives a promise. It's a conditional promise. If. That's a little word, but it is a pivotal word. In other words, when it says if, and it tells you what, if you'll go back and say if you don't, or if you do, this is will, or if you don't, this won't. If a man therefore allow God to purge him from these, if a man therefore allow the preacher to purge him of these by preaching to him condemnation and legalism and narrow-mindedness, now I'm not being facetious, I'm telling you what the Word of God has to say here. You see, it, we have to come to a place where we can say what the old Negro spiritual said. It's not my brother nor my sister, but it's me, O Lord. I'm responsible. God says, I am building me an army, a vessel, and you're going to choose what kind of a vessel you're going to be. Well, I don't know why God uses that person so much because they've determined to let God use them. 
Well, I don't know why they have so much success in that house, because they've determined that that house is going to be obedient to God. Never changes. The twelve spies that went into the promised land, I don't know why God blessed Joshua and, and uh, Caleb. Well, I mean, they walked just like the rest of them, went through the same land as the rest of them, did saw the same things they did, yes, but they had a different spirit in them, the word of God. Did you see that? It wasn't anything wrong with the other ten. It's just that these two had a different spirit in them. I don't care what we saw. God said to take it, take it. You know, God's still looking for that kind of a spirit today. If a man therefore will purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor. He might be a vessel unto honor. He could be a vessel unto honor. There's a possibility that somehow he might become a vessel unto honor. This is what it says, is it? If a man will, then he shall. If a man will not, then he will not. Isn't that what it says? You know, this is just simple English. You don't even have to have a theological degree to get this. You don't even have to go to college. You don't even have to be able to read to get this. If any man, any man, it can say if any man, can it? Does that disqualify anyone here tonight? If any man, therefore, purge himself of these, he shall be a vessel unto honor. He shall be sanctified, he shall be meet or qualified for the master's use, and prepared or equipped unto every good work. Wow! I mean, there's a formula right there. You want to have success with God and be, and be used of him and sanctified and honored and equipped? Fully ready to do what he wants you to do. He says, just purge yourself of these. Well, I'm just going to wait until God speaks to me. Jeez, I'm not going to speak to me anymore. I said everything right here. I exhausted my vocabulary right there in the Word of God. It's an open book there. Read it! Well, I just don't have time to do it. You're too busy. You're too busy. This has to be our spiritual food. I said to someone not too long ago, do you read God's Word? Oh, oh, some, some. I said, what, what, some? Well, some. No, come on. You read God's word. How much? And, and I think they're really trying to throw the spiritual light on it. At least once a week. Once a week. I said, and how often do you eat? Well, I try not to eat too much. I said, I didn't ask you. How much do you eat? How many times a day? Oh. Probably not much more than twice a day, most of the time. I said, then you're more concerned about your, your physical welfare than you are your spiritual welfare. You're starving spiritually, and eating to keep yourself strong and healthy so you can go out and work in order to get enough money to eat and have some place to stay, and then you go and sleep in order to get enough strength to go out and earn enough money to go out and get food to eat to keep up your strength and sleep. You're in that cycle, aren't you? You've gotten things out of order. But your spiritual man is not growing. And you see, I said to her, I'd start to quote to her, I said, the word says, Dawson, 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 I go to the verse and stop, and she'd go, I said, I don't believe this. Simple verses in the word of God had no comprehension of it whatsoever. And was saying, Pastor, Lord, I don't understand why I have spiritual trouble. I don't say this to put her down. I'm just simply bringing out a spiritual truth here. 
When you and I decided that Jesus Christ was Lord of our life, whether we know it or not, we stepped out onto a battlefield. And you better know the battle plan. And you better know the escape route. And you better know where the battle is and who the enemy is. Trouble is, most Christians go around shooting themselves in the foot and the leg all the time and wondering why they're crippled. They'll take the word of God and beat themselves to death with it. You ever seen that? Oh, I'm so unworthy. I'm just a, I'm just a, a sinner saved by grace, and I'm just defeated, and I'm just... Man, they just take the word. Now, I know now that I'm just so worthless before God. He won't have anything to do with me. And they forget what the word says. Isn't it terrible to take the sword of the word and club yourself to death with it? And you should be fighting the enemy with it? But we do it because we don't know the word of God. If a man, therefore, purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified, and meet for the master's use, and prepared unto every good work. Now, I've been talking about a usable Christian. There are four things I want to share with you about usable Christians. And the first one is, a usable Christian is expendable. A usable Christian is always expendable. Look at verses 11 and 12 again of that chapter. What does it say? It is a faithful saying. What does he mean by a faithful saying? Everybody knows it. I mean, this is well known. This is a well-known fact of life. It is a faithful saying, for if we be dead with him, we shall also live with him. If we suffer, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him or disown him, he, will, he also will deny us. I said, that's a faithful saying. And this is one of the greatest principles in God's Word when we talk about a commitment to Jesus Christ. That you and I are totally expendable. We must be expendable, first of all, to ourselves. There are some people who think, well, I am a usable Christian because I talk. Or I am a usable Christian because I belong to Calvary Baptist Church. Or I belong to that church or the other church. I am a faithful Christian and a usable Christian because I memorize scripture or I teach a Sunday school class or I even preach from the pulpit. But that's not what God is talking about. Many people who are not usable vessels are doing those very things. These are not the things of which, these are not first priority things. These should be automatically the end result of the first thing. And that first thing is found, first of all, in John the 12th chapter. Verses 24 and 25. Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground, and, and what? It abideth alone, but if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. He that loveth his life shall lose it, and he that hateth his life in this world shall keep it unto life eternal. If any man serve me, let him follow me where I am, there shall also my servant be. If any man serve me, him will my father honor. Turn over to Mark the 8th chapter. Turn back to Mark the 8th chapter. Jesus elaborates on this very thing a little bit more. In chapter 8, verses, starting with verse 34. Mark 8, 34. And when he had called the people unto him, with his disciples also, he said unto them, Whosoever will come after me, let him deny or disown himself, and take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever shall, will save his life shall lose it. Now, what does Jesus mean here when he says save his life? 
Does that mean if he's drowning, he swims to shore and gets out of the water? Does that mean if he's almost hit with a car, he jumps out of the way? That isn't what it's talking about, is it? It's saying if you are going to have pockets of reservations in your life, where you're going to be a cafeteria-type Christian when you come to church and hear the Word of God preached. Well, I like a little bit of that, Pastor Webb, but no thank you to that. And, you know, uh, well, I understand that you have some convictions against these things, but as far as I'm concerned, I, I'm different from you, and I can live on a different level than you, and I, you're a little narrow in these areas. That's what I personally am not going to give up my pleasures just because you think that's what the Word of God says. Well, that's what we call saving our lives. You know, it's, it's the most, sometimes it comes in the natural, and I'm talking about the old flesh here, one of the most frustrating things in the world that you can't grab their spirit and shake it and say, hey, dummy, sharpen up a little bit, will you? But that's the old flesh, and I say, Lord, I put that thing under, no sir, whatever you want to do, it's up to you. Mm-hmm. This is condemnation, that light comes into the world, light comes into the world, light comes into the world, light comes into your life. And this is light. This is light right here. And I've seen people say, I remember when I talked some years ago on marriage and and the home relationships and wives submit to your husband. You remember, I can still see it standing right here. Woman sitting over on the right hand side of this church and she goes, just rattle her teeth every time I talk about submit to your husband. Husbands, love your wives even as Christ loved the church. You see him just sit there and twist and turn. Their home is a shambles today. The light came to them. So, what did it gain me? I mean, I just told them what the word said. Jesus said, I'm coming that you might have life and have it more abundantly. How? By obeying my word, keeping my commandments before you. Just hang them right between your eyes so that everywhere you look, you see my commandments dangling between your eyes. Meditate on them day and night, day and night. Oh, that's a religious fanatic. Right. Be a religious fanatic. I'll tell you something, in eternity it's going to mean a lot more than it is to know all the players of the NFL and the AFL and the, all, the, all the other football leagues and all the other baseball leagues. Those things aren't going to mean anything in eternity. But I'd rather be a fanatic for Jesus and his word. For whosoever shall save his life shall lose it, but whosoever shall lose his life for my sake and the gospels, the same shall save it. What that is actually saying is you make a total commitment. Now, the old Joe Webb that did his own thing. In fact, when the night I accepted Christ, I made a statement. I said, Lord, up till now I have made a total mess of my life. And if you don't get my hands off the reins, and if you don't take a hold of the reins yourself, I know I'll run myself into a ditch and win my everything in the future too. So Lord, right now I'm taking my hands off my reins. You somehow keep my hands off them and you take control right from now on. I didn't even know what I was saying, but all I knew is I had seen what I had done in my life up to that time. And then later on I found out what it meant to be crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, nevertheless not I, but Christ now living in me. So what does that mean? It means he takes control. I go to the Word of God and whatever the Word of God says to me. Well, Brother Webb, we're living in a much more different day than we lived, they lived in back there. The heart of man is the very same. Sin is the very same as it's always been. And righteousness is still the very same. So, Brother Webb, we can't have the same thing. We're in a more enlightened 
era and generation than there ever was in years before. Knowledge is increasing, so it's been. For all the technological discoveries we've made, our mental hospitals are fuller than they've ever been before, and our crime rate is going up at a greater rate than ever before. There are more intellectual criminals today. I mean, they're breaking into our computer systems, but they're no different than the guy that used to go out and steal a potato from the farm with the same old sin is down in the heart. And I'll tell you, it's the same old lie of compromise that Satan's selling to you and me when we say, well, it's a different generation. No, it isn't. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? God knows it. God, you know my heart. You look on my heart. You tell me from your word what's there. And what you don't want there, I don't want there. And you show me, and I'll get rid of it. It's gone. What shall it profit a man? If he gain, must he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Whosoever therefore shall be ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation... Of him also shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he cometh in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Let me just simply say here when I'm talking about being expendable, do you find it difficult to witness others about Jesus Christ day by day? I stop and think about it. Do you have, it, have any trouble talking about your job or your girlfriend or your children or your wife? Having trouble talking about the sports of the day? And I enjoy sports. I'm not knocking it. I think as long as you and I can control those things, that's fine. But when they start controlling me, and out of the abundance of my heart, all I can talk about is sports. Or out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. Then I think I'm in trouble. See, out of me, Jesus said, He would give us water to drink wherein we'd never thirst again, and out of our innermost being would flow rivers of living water. This spake he of the Holy Ghost. He says, out of our innermost being would flow this, and out of our tongue and out of our mouth should flow the love of God, the grace of God, the truth of God, the light of God's word. When? When we are committed and submitted and expendable to the word of God. When I say expendable, we mean what John the Baptist said, he must increase, but I must decrease. For in the word of God, Jesus said, it's not my will, but thine be done, O Lord. Not my will. Now, Lord, I... I mean, the, the, the book of Philippians tells us that Jesus gave up all of his glory in heaven, all of his rights, all of his majesty in heaven, and took upon himself the form of a servant and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. He gave up everything. He said, Father, I just forsake it all, and I'll go and do whatever you tell me to do. Let me tell you something. How many of you know he didn't end up in poverty? How many of you know he isn't poor today, huh? He gave it all up, but God gave it all back to him with more. Now, can you learn something from that? He said, as the Father sent me, so send I you. My business, Lord, here it is. My whole business. On the cross. My job, Lord, it's on the cross. My relationship with others, Lord, it's on the cross. My clubs, my social, my, my irresponsible spending, as was spoken of tonight, Lord, I put it all on the cross. That, that, that's satisfying your own flesh. And I'm supposed to let that be crucified by the Spirit of God. That new vehicle that I have, all these trips that I want to take, all this equipment that I, that I possess, Lord, I put them all on the cross, and if you do not want me to go, and you will not bless that, and if it's selfishly oriented, Lord, I lay it back on the cross in the name of Jesus, I'll not have it in my life. That deep loneliness down in your heart. Oh, if I can't if I can't find someone to love me in the next 
So many months, Lord, I'll just never make it. This truth later on the cross and crucified. Father, you said Jesus was enough, that he loved me, that he was in the high. I laid on the cross right now. That's the old flesh crying out, and I lay that on the cross. You said that you'd never leave me and that you'd never forsake me. And he won't let me tempt, be tempted above what I'm able, but will with the temptation make a way of escape so that I can bear it. You say, oh, then he's going to give me. No, well, no, I didn't know I said. He'll make a way of escape consistent with his word where you can bear it. And when we start talking about crucifying ourselves, every time you try to talk God out of it, go to his word, and if he says something in his word, don't say, well, I'm going to pray about it. I told you about this young lady I talked about the other day. I said to her, get into the word. Well, I'll pray about it. No, don't pray about it. What do you mean don't pray about it? No need to pray about it. I'll give you a bunch of verses that tell you that. Right in the word. Well, then I'll think about it. No, you haven't got right to think about it. It's not a choice. If any man, if when you made that commitment, you said, Jesus is Lord, that becomes your roadmap right there. That becomes the final word. If the word says it, do it. Get after it. Go. Because after all, you don't have a choice in the matter. You died, and Christ is supposed to be alive in your life. He's supposed to be in control of everything you do, every decision you make. Remind you. Well, listen, just because this platform's up about eight inches higher than yours does not mean that I'm on a higher level than you. There are times when I have to go, put that old flesh down and say, go to the cross in the name of Jesus. There are times when I would do other things than what I do if I let Joe Webb take control again. I mean, every day there's a crucifying of the flesh. You know the devil gets at you right here in the old mind. And every day I say, in the name of Jesus, the word says whatsoever things are true and honest and just and pure and holy and of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. Mind, get in line with God's word. That's not according to his word. And I say, now, Lord, give me some verses to think on. And he'll try to drag me back over to this problem or drag me back over to this need or drag me over to this. Mind, get back here in the name of Jesus. And I say, you do that all the time. All the time. There ain't no difference than our kids. When our children were little, they always wanted to find out where the end of the rope was out there, you know, and their mind tries to do the same thing. you got to come, get back here, right here is the end of the rope. No, the Word of God says it. Well, Brother Webb, you're being hard to yourself. No, I'm not. I'm being good to myself. Because those that serve him, God will honor. The way of the transgressor is hard, not the way of the obedient. The way of the transgressor is hard. You don't believe that? Let me give you the names of a few people I know that have been in transgressing God's word lately. Just write them down and go and visit them a couple of years from right now. I'll tell you something. God has, a, has a, a little line attached to every one of us, and there's a plug in it on the end of that line. And let me tell you, if you've never had your plug pulled before, God is a plug puller. I've seen guys get just puffed up. <clears throat> this big God is in their dog. I see a very wealthy man in my community. Oh, buying his big car, and I think, God, he's so miserable to you. He doesn't know that when the day comes that God pulls his plug, he leaves it all behind, and he goes out, he won't even have a shirt to wear. And he hasn't sent anything ahead. God, somehow, put enough of a need in his life that I can tell him. You say, brother, you call that hard? I call that hard because, you see, I'm not looking at it with stigmatism of this time. I'm looking at it in the light of eternity. I don't care what you're profiting if he gains the whole city of Longwood. Raise his soul. What can he give in exchange for his soul? 
I can't see nothing. Say, now, God, you know these things that I owned on that left exchange. God's not interested. I own it all already. Why can't I own it? Do you see it? You don't own anything. All the earth is mine, and the fullness thereof is mine. I simply let you use it down there, and I gave the opportunity to be a steward of mine, if you chose to be a steward of yourself. Now, let me tell you something. When I say that, there are a lot of Christians today that are religious stewards of themselves. Religious in as much as they go along and talk the language and do as much as they possibly can without becoming that fanatic and not letting go and letting God have it completely. And there are many Christians today that let God have every other area of their life but the finances. No, 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 I'm not talking about the tithe. Oh, boy, they wouldn't question the tithe. I mean, the Word says the tithe very clearly. But they never want to read in the New Testament where it says, give half of all I have or the widow's might that was all that she had, you know. Uh, Lord, I'm returning your tithe and... Now I gotta sit down and figure out what I'm gonna do with the rest of it. Okay, something. In eternity, we stand before God. We have to give an account for what we do with everything we give Him. Now, those of you that don't have thousands of dollars in banks and bonds and stocks and so forth, don't get off. Say, there, give it to them, preacher. You can be just as covetous with a quarter in your pocket or a dime in your pocket as a man with ten million dollars in their account. It isn't the amount, it's the attitude. And the attitude of the Christian being expendable is, Lord, look at this, Lord, if you were to pour water in my hands like this, how much of it would stay? That's exactly how much is going to stay of earthly possession. In fact, I've got to turn my hands like this because the pole in my hand might hold on to some of it. Say, now, Lord, when you pour water over my hands, how much of it will stay? None. So, Lord, everything that you place in my hands, I place my hands on the cross. I lay them on the cross, and I let your nails go through my hands. And I want to confess to you that these hands are not to be used to glorify myself or anything that I might accomplish. I want these hands to become the hands of Christ. Now, I'm not talking about some mystical thing here. I'm saying, well, I give control of my hands to the Lordship of Christ. He says, up till now, you've used your members for your own gratification. Now, yield your members as instruments unto righteousness for God. Lord, my mind that you've given me, if it can think and can produce and be productive, everything that comes to me, I'm going to ask you not what to do with the time, not what to do with 20. I'm going to ask you, Lord, what do you want me to do with every trick of it? Every possession that I have. How can I extend the kingdom of God? That's why I'm here. God didn't put us here to extend our own possessions and leave them to a lot of our kids who are probably mostly spoiled brats by that time anyway. You know, there's some Christians today that may not be here five years or one year or three years from now, and all that they've accumulated through this life, their kids are standing back. And I'm not talking about kids in this church. I'm just talking about generally speaking. They're standing back like a pack of wolves, just waiting for that person to slip away to grab a hold of what they've got. Exactly what Solomon said. He says, vanity of vanities. I became a multi-billionaire in my day. But what did it gain? He said, I'll die and my, some fools will come along and spend everything I've earned. And when I say this, I'm talking about every area, not just finances, every area, conduit and not a reservoir, to where the, the blessings and the knowledge of God and the wisdom of God will be made manifest through us. What's it going to profit us if we gather a lot of money here on earth? And you see, again, just because I'm eight inches higher doesn't exempt you from being in the same position. 
If you've got land, if you've got houses, if you've got jewelry, if you've got stock, if you've got bonds, if you've got all these things. You and I, back there at the cross, said Jesus Christ was to take total possession of everything we have. We are expendable. We're getting out of the way. We're dying. We're getting out of the picture so that Jesus Christ can be manifest through us. Well, yes, but that doesn't mean we're supposed to get... Yes, it does. You mean to say it? Yeah, that's exactly what I'm trying to say. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet, not I. Not I. Christ lives in, lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So Paul says, now I beseech you, brethren, recognizing this, that you really were crucified with Christ back there, that you present your body. If any man will purge himself, that you present your body. God is not going to say, I want your body. He's not a body snatcher. Is that your body? A living sacrifice? A living sacrifice? You know, a lot of people say, I'm willing to die for Jesus. Jesus doesn't want you to die for him. Physically, he wants you to live physically. He wants to live his life out through you. You know, it's harder to be a living sacrifice than it is to be a dying sacrifice. I mean, some of these missionaries that die on the field, their, their battle is over with. It's when you are a living sacrifice, you've got to get up every morning and put yourself back on the cross. And Paul said that. He said, I have a funeral every day. Well, you say, man, he must be a morbid person. No, he was very much a live person. He found out if he didn't have a funeral, he'd have a morbid day. But if I can get Paul out of the way and let Jesus rule today, I am going to have joy unspeakable and full of glory because God said in his word that he's come that we might have life and have it abundantly. Lord, what do you want me to do in my business today? What do you want me to do in school today? I want you to lead me and direct me, help me to study the right things, help me to understand the right things. But Lord, make me very sensitive in my spirit if there's someone you want me to talk to about you today. Now let me tell you something. You can't put one drop of God's Word in a 55-gallon barrel and go around and expect it to splice all over everybody. Ever seen some people trying to splice water, a drop of water out of a 55-gallon barrel? They're kind of ridiculous, isn't it? And yet there's some people jump up in the morning and say, what was that? Oh yeah, for God to love the world, he gave it all to God. So Lord, thank you. Yeah, out the door they go. And they say, now Lord, use me. If God's in need of a doorstop, he might be able to use you, but other than that, I don't know. You see, out of the abundance of their heart, and I'll speak it, we should be filled with the wisdom of God. Filled with the knowledge of God. Again, I haven't got time, Brother Webb. Don't say that. If you and I were to be really honest this next week, and just, just check, the minute you go over your television, put on top of your television set a piece of paper and write down the time you start watching it, and as soon as you get up, walk over and mark off when you quit. When it's on, when it's off, when it's on, when it's off. And then agree that you will not watch television next week any more than you spend in prayer and reading God's Word. You want to know something? The next month you'll have a revival like this world has never seen. But I come home so tired. No, the web, you just don't know. I'm out there meeting the world every day. It's not like you. You don't have to work. You're a preacher. I'm just out there all day. When I come home, I just want to sit back and relax. And, you know, and they get that glassy stare in their eye, and they just stare at that TV until the picture feed goes into a pattern. That's what the Word of God says. They that wait upon the television set shall renew their strength. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Is that what it says? I'm just a way. You ever notice something? Now think about this. How many times have you thought I'm too tired to read the Word of God and you picked up a newspaper and read it all the way through? Oh, I'm too tired to read the Word of God. Oh, here's a good housekeeping. <laughs> all the way through the good housekeeping. And your eyes don't even flutter. 
Pick up the Word of God, get through five verses, and God, I'm just too tired to read the Word of God. There's a problem. Those that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. You want to have new strength in work? Just get quiet before the Lord. You say, Brother, every time you get quiet before the Lord, I fall asleep. It's better to fall asleep before God than to fall asleep before television. At least when you wake up, you won't have to worry about what got in your mind, in your unconscious mind while you were sleeping. Someone said, I'd rather fall asleep kneeling before God than running before the devil. But you see, these things won't take place until you and I say, Lord, by an act of my will, I declare that I died with Jesus on the cross. I am expendable. I need to be put out of the way. And I'm going to begin to hear what the Word of God says. Again, I said, as I said this morning, God says that I'm a gift to you. Don't come in very pretty rapping. And I probably have kind of a harsh voice sometimes, but whether you like it or not, if you're the sheep here, that's the gift that God's given to you. And I'm here for one thing. I have to answer for your soul. And so if I find it in the Word of God, I'm going to tell you exactly like it is. And that's where my responsibility ends. If any man will purge himself, if any man will purge himself, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God. No more, well, this is what I want to do. You ever read that story of the rich man, the rich fool? Just circle all the eyes and my's and minds, and you'll see why God called him a fool. What shall I do? I have gathered together all these riches. I know what I shall do. I shall tear down my barns, and I shall move, build bigger barns, and I shall say to my soul, soul, eat, drink, and be merry. This night your soul is required of you, then who shall, who shall all these things be? And that's what Jesus was trying to get across to us. Don't, if you're a Christian, recognize that you and I own nothing. If we're dead, we don't own anything. My father and mother passed away, and they left everything in this world. But it wasn't much. It wasn't much. I think all total, I, I think I received a thousand dollars. I told you, after the house was sold, the furniture was sold, my, my mother and father never had much. The little house that we have on our property right now is better than the house my folks lived in all the while. The only time we had running water was when I was in a hurry with a bucket, up until I went to college. Give God your job. Give the Lord your husband. Give the Lord your children. Give the Lord your wife. Give them back to him. Well, I don't want to get it because well, let me tell you something. You release them, and then if they come back to you, it's truly yours. You hang on to them. One of these days, you can't hang on forever. They're going to run away, and then you're lost. Let them go. I mean, I say it again. God sent a fish after Jonah, and he sent a chicken after Peter, and he hasn't closed down either one of those hatches yet. He knows exactly what he has to send after whoever he wants to send it after to do a job on it. And I've seen people go strutting away like a peacock and come back like a whipped dog. Because God turned his hammer, uh, his hammer mill on loose on it. The grinding of God is slow, but it's sure. And the only reason he has it available is to bring us to the place where finally some of us will just say, Lord, it's yours. Others will finally say, all right, Lord, it's yours. He won't make you do anything. He'll make you Lord. He didn't make the children as they're going to the promised land. I'll tell you something, after 40 years of running around like a man with a wooden 
legend of Nahor, in the wilderness for 40 years, they finally said, yes, sir, where do you see we go in first? Right there, it's Katie's Barnea. God says, I don't want you wandering around the wilderness. Just do what I say to do. Follow my leading. When the cloud, pillar, the cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night moves, you move. And when it stops, you stop. You say, well, I don't have that, Brother Webb. No, you sure don't. You've got a resident voice within you, the Spirit of God. When he says, Joe, but I'm waiting for him to speak to me. Well, then shut up for a while, let him. Lord, what do you want me to do? I'm going to start over here, Lord, if you don't want me to stop me. What is he going to do? He says, you've got to be quiet. That being harsh, would you? You've got to be quiet. And then begin to move. You see, he doesn't want you just to sit still. Begin to move. He said, oh, Lord, I, I don't know if this is exactly what you're saying, but I want you to put a check in my heart if it isn't exactly what you want me to do. Maybe do. Now, you know, a lot of times with peer pressure around, it's awfully hard to hear his voice and obey it. And so sometimes you have to say, listen, let me, let me get over here by myself for a minute. I just want to, Lord, I feel something. What are you trying to tell me? And it may seem absolutely dumb, unreasonable. The opposite of what you ought to do, according to this educated idiot back here. But you said back there, Lord, you're in control. So you say, okay, Lord, I'll understand. Well, I'll try it. And you start to walk in the direction. And you'll find that he will flip-flop things around and things will walk away. Well, isn't that something? It works. I mean, he told you a long time ago it worked. You just hadn't found it. But you see, you can't do that until you and I say, Lord, I really seriously want a funeral. I want to have my funeral. Now, just one other thing, and that is, before you die, what you supposed to do? What's something that's necessary before you die? Make a will. Very few Christians today have will. No sense in dying if you don't have a will. Don't know where anything's going to be supposed to go. God says, I want you to write this will now. At the top, I want you to put my last will and testament. Down at the bottom, I want you to sign your name. Give it to me and just let me fill in the rest of it. My last will and testament, I give everything that I am or hope to be now in the past and the future to the Lordship of Jesus Christ and the perfect will of God. Hold it up and say, now I'm ready to die. And when you die, every time the devil comes along and tells you, this is what you ought to do, go back and say, where's my will? Let's see, what did I say in my will? <laughs> everything that I own, everything that I am or hope to be, whatever it is, now, in the past, now, and in the future, I commit completely to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. It's his lock, stock, and barrel. When you do that, and you have it in writing, and the Holy Spirit is in control no one's going to bust that will. Let me ask you something. There may have been a time in your life when you committed your life to Jesus Christ as your Savior, but have you totally made him absolute Lord of your life? Have you said, Lord, I'm dispensable. I'm expendable, I mean. I'm expendable. I want to die that Jesus can live in my life, every part of my life, all the problems, all the joys, all the relationships, I'm going to die to myself right now by an act of my will. If any man will purge himself, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. I acknowledge that I'm crucified with Christ. I died with him. I was buried with him. I acknowledge that death. 
and I release everything. I turn my hands, open my fingers, and I release it all. Past, present, and future completely to the Lord Jesus Christ. Based upon his word, I will obey him in every area as best I know how. That's the first step in becoming a usable vessel for the Lord. Anything else smells of the rottenness of flesh and it's a stench in the nostrils of God. For the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. And we've got to get a new heart and a new bent toward God. And it won't happen until we, by an act of our will and by a confession, die to ourselves and make Jesus Lord of our life from this moment on. I know that God has had to deal with me in this matter time and time again, and he's been dealing with others in the body. He said, by the way, I've made some commitments like that in the past. Wish you knew how many times I had to make that commitment and renew that commitment to the Lord Jesus. But I still do. I go back and say, Lord, I said it back then. I meant it. I meant it. I meant it. I meant it. I let it go. There have been things that come in my life that got me all tied up and tense. Expectations that I thought were going to be fantastic. And if I let the Lord, I let it go. I loose it. I let it go in the name of Jesus. Just nothing but in all things of praise, supplication, and thanksgiving. Let your request be made known unto God and the peace of God. If I, see, whenever I got tense, the peace of God went away because tension is usually irritation with God because He didn't do it the way I wanted Him to do it. 